Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. At times I wonder when I hear people being critical of the Bible and, you know, renegating the Bible to, you know, just sort of some myths that were recorded in the, in the past, rather than look at the Bible as a, an inspired book where God revealed um, much about himself, about um, the history and origin of the world to people who really wanted to have a relationship um, and, and know, wanted to um, be in contact with the creator, with the uh, amazing mind that created our, our universe. And the, um, the evidence that the Bible is, a, um, is an inspired book, of course, uh, uh, comes in, in many ways, uh, particularly from the prophecies that are recorded in the Bible where uh, God impressed the minds of people or spoke to people directly or sent angels to speak to people um, uh, to give them messages about the future or warnings and, and of course, the historical evidence that these uh, came true. And, of course, there's the very spectacular prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 of um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar, the uh, uh, famous king of Babylon that built the um, hanging gardens of Babylon that were considered by the Greek historian Herodotus as uh, uh, one of the uh, seven wonders of the ancient world, these amazing gardens. And, uh, of course, the book of Daniel describes this, um, and particularly chapter 2 describes the the dream and the amazing prophecy that was fulfilled over, um, you know, hundreds to over a thousand years afterwards. So we have we have this evidence as well as the historical accuracy of of the historical aspects that are re- recorded. But the other things that impress me is that the way the Bible, for example, describes God as being uh, a non-physical being. And when you think about it, um, this the physical universe had to be created by something outside of itself. In other words, a, a being, uh, a super intelligence, as we describe it in terms of a, of a mind, um, outside of uh, the the physical world, outside and uninfluenced by the, the, the force fields that exist in nature. And of course, that's how uh, the Bible describes it. It describes God as a self-existent one, and so he's always existed. He, he's outside time. And also, the Bible talks about how God spoke the... Um, the universe and so forth in, into existence. And that makes a, a lot of scientific sense too because uh, we know, for example, that our thoughts, which are non-material in our brain, can, in, um, can affect um, electrical impulses and, and so forth. So, uh, And the Bible talks about how we're made in the image of God and with our minds we've been able to learn and discover and understand much about this this physical world. Of course, the other view is that, you know, it all came about by some blind, random 
uh, forces, um, you know, creating the amazing complexity of DNA and and living cells and the amazing structures and force fields we find in the universe, etc. But there still really is no scientific explanation how these can form naturally. And as I said, the Bible, in the way it describes things, um, although in many ways it's uh, you know quite simple, and people argue well, it's you know not as meant to be a science textbook, and indeed it isn't. The way it describes things are still very factual. In other words, even though things might be described very simply and not meant to be a scientific treatise to understand different things, nonetheless they're presented in a way that. Uh, is is quite scientifically accurate. Now, of course, some people uh, talk about, um, you know, well, you know, what about the Bible talks about, you know, the earth, the, the pillars of the earth and the earth can't be moved and all this sort of thing. But we understand, I think, common sense tells us when certain things are, are poetical and we have a, a person such as, you know, writing the Psalms, is writing poetries, expressing feelings and so forth. And so I don't have an issue with that. And it, it seems to me, you know, quite clearly that uh, where we are, we, we observe things and we, are, we, we talk about a, a sunrise um, and, um, and, and a sunset. That's part of our language. Even an astronomer sitting um, uh, with a, a friend or spouse uh, watching a, a beautiful sunset or sunrise would talk about, oh, look at the sunrise, you know, look at the sunset. He wouldn't talk about, oh, look at the amazing development of the, the colour as the earth rotates, you know. Um, so it's caused by the rotation of the earth, not the sunrise. So for me that um, uh, it, it's quite clear the difference between these poetic expressions. But when we come to the Genesis account, beginning of Genesis, so one of the things, again, that I, just a little snippet that I quite find interesting is that it talks about God placing uh, the first humans, Adam and Eve, in a garden. And um, we read in uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 8 and onwards, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground uh, made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then it goes on um, a little bit further uh, verse 15, And the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. I find this uh, quite interesting. Of course, God previously talked about how he made all the trees and the animals and the green fields. And so here we see that God planted a garden um, to, that was especially um, filled with trees that were very pleasant to look at and good for food. And this was the environment, and a man was put there to dress it and to to keep it. And, of course, we can see that, you know, God put man in this particular environment, and there's really, really good reasons for this. And it's quite fascinating that um, in, you know, the last uh, 10 years or so, there's been a very significant increase 
in research looking at the benefits of living in a garden. And um, I, I think this is uh, it's quite uh, very interesting, the amount of research papers that are now coming out um, in this area describing these benefits. And, of course, one of the problems that we have is that we're moving away from living in gardens to living in high-density housing. And often these are... Uh, a painted grail. They're just plain, unpainted concrete colours. Uh, I was driving through a part of Sydney um, recently that I hadn't driven through for many years and I was appalled at the change in the landscape and the, uh, that had occurred with the, the building of uh, large numbers of high-rise concrete uh, unit blocks. And they were, they were just grey concrete, uh, very little trees, uh, no, no colours, and uh, it, it was most most depressing. And I can uh, remember a, a similar effect uh, uh, travelling on the bus from the airport just outside Kosice in Slovakia and um, coming in and all these grey concrete unit blocks it was just just a really depressing environment. Then we got into the the old city itself with the gardens and and parks and so forth and and, and lovely buildings. And it's interesting. This uh, a study was published in Preventative Medicine Reports, Volume Five, in March two thousand and seventeen. It's pages ninety two to ninety nine, um, and it was a meta analysis of the beneficial health effects of gardening. It was called Gardening is Beneficial for Health, a meta-analysis. And this was really the first two, first um, uh, meta-analysis of the different studies that have been done. In other words, what these researchers have done is they've looked in the scientific literature of people that have published research related to the health benefits of gardening and then combined the results of all these studies. Um, And uh, there were 22 uh, case studies that have been uh, published after 2001 and um, which involved 76 comparisons between a control group and a group that had been um, in, in gardens uh, and working in gardens as opposed to people that didn't. And most studies came from the United States, but they were also from Europe, Asia and the Middle East. And the studies reported a wide range of health outcomes, such as reductions in depression... And I mean, that immediately was, you know, very obvious uh, to me, Um, you know, walking through a garden and park as opposed to walking down streets just filled with, you know, big concrete towers. Um, I can certainly understand, at least from my perspective, um, the increase in depression, unfortunately, in those areas. But also reduced anxiety. It also reduced BMI, body mass index, Um, and they measured increases in life satisfaction, increases in quality of life and sense of community. And uh, so the the uh, meta-analysis results showed significant positive effects of gardening on health outcomes. 
And, um, of course, gardening, um, you know, there's a number of ways. If Adam was put there to uh, to keep the garden, to uh, tend to it and, and, and keep it. And, you know, having a garden myself, I know if you... If you leave it for any th- length of time, boy, things can overgrow and you've got to prune things back. Uh, plants grow in the wrong places, whether you call them weeds, um, and uh, you know they have to be removed and so forth or other because some plants, typically weeds, can smother other plants. Um, and uh, so we need to preserve the balance. And, and so it provides ongoing work but also I've found there's a, a sense of achievement after working in the garden and seeing it's all tidied up and um, uh, the weeds removed. Uh, there's this sense of, of satisfaction of achieving something as well as enjoying uh, the plants themselves that are now still uh, healthier. And uh, again, so as I f- uh, further looked at um, these uh, studies, it was quite Important. One of the important things was that a number of studies were done on the persistent effect of being in a garden. And people who worked in gardens for a while and then uh, three months later, after they'd even stopped, there were still um, beneficial effects. Um, of the 22 studies that were done, seven studies focused on daily gardening and found that those who participate in daily gardening had better health than did non-gardeners. They had a lot uh, less stress, they had lower BMIs, they had generally increased general health and life satisfaction. And one of the other things that is really coming out, and they pointed out and they say the first and most direct one is the added benefit of direct experience with nature. And this is a, a very important one. A number of studies have been published in this, uh, Hartig and others in 2014 and uh, Keniger and others in 2013. And they really looked at when we spend time in a natural environment, that is, you know, where there's natural trees, flowers, rocks, waterfalls, paths, lakes, birds, natural birds, natural wildlife, um, it has a significant effect on our health. And indeed, uh, attention restoration theory proposes that the natural world is cognitively restorative and exposure to nature has the potential to allow restoration from attention fatigue. And, um, you know, I'll talk about that in a a bit, a little bit more. And this uh, especially comes from work by Kaplan, Uh, published back in 1995. The other benefits of gardening, of course, is that it's likely to encourage people to undertake physical exercise. And, of course, that affects both our physical and psychological uh, health. And um, a US study pointed out in 2008 that if elderly people participated in daily gardening, they could achieve the recommended physical activity levels of at least 30 minutes of moderate intensity um, physical activity. And of course, one of the other obvious things is uh, um, engagement in gardening uh, is likely to encourage people to grow fruit and vegetables and, um, and as a result have a healthier diet. 
So this was um, a really interesting study that was published. As I said, it was the first meta-analysis published back in 2017. Just following that, in 2018, in June 2018, in Clinical Medicine, that's a a, a London-based journal, um, there was an article on gardening for for health. And... um, The author there points out that there's increasing evidence that exposure to plants and green space, and particularly to gardening, is beneficial for mental and physical health. And so um, he argues that that could reduce the pressure on the National Health Service in the, the UK. And he went on to say, so why does gardening seem to be so beneficial for health? Because it combines physical activity with social interaction, particularly in community gardens, and exposure to nature and sunlight. And he goes on to point out that sunlight lowers blood pressure, as well as increasing vitamin D in summer. And the fruit and vegetables that are produced have positive impact on the diet. And working in the garden restores dexterity and strength and aerobic exercise that is involved, uh, particularly, you know, things like digging, raking, mowing, uh, quite calorie intense. And the other thing is you're bending over, reaching for different weeds, um, moving around you, you know, uh, will tend to use a lot of muscles that you wouldn't otherwise use, particularly if you were just sitting, uh, reading a book or watching television or something. Um, and they also point out that whether a community gardens or where people engage together um, in, in community projects, uh, it can improve learning, improve poor mental health, um, and, um, and can delay the symptoms of dementia. And I can remember when my wife and I were first married, we lived in a little village of Glen Hewen in Tasmania, um, and this was... Um, uh, an area where there are a lot of small uh, fruit and uh, apple and pear orchards, uh, small fruit grown, and so you had the black currants, loganberries, raspberries uh, were grown there. And um, you would hear the um, uh, at the particularly the harvesting time, uh, the people working together, um, and of course it was a, a fairly um, it was a strong Christian community with a number of different faith groups there and uh, at times you'd hear uh, women folk singing hymns uh, whilst they were working together in the in the fields um, and of course there was that um, sense of, of, of community um, and of course trees and, and bushes remove uh, quantities of toxins and particulates from the air through their their leaves and the the author goes on to the benefits of that. So obviously when we have a lot of plants um, and trees around us, this really helps uh, uh, not only produce more oxygen uh, for us to breathe but um, removes uh, many of the toxins and uh, toxic uh, vapours and particulates that are in the air from our uh, civilization. Uh, Richard uh, Louv, L-O-U-V, um, was uh, uh, originally back in, um, looked at, uh, published um, a nature deficit disorder. Uh, and the nature uh, de- deficit disorder was um, first coined in 2005 when he published a, an article called 
last child in the woods saving our children from nature deficit disorder. And uh, there was an article published online in October 2019. And he goes on to discuss that the proliferation of electronic communication, you know, all our mobile phones with little screens we look at all the time, uh, poor urban planning and the disappearing of open space. And I noticed with a, you know, a lot of the new housing um, uh, subdivisions, the houses are really crammed in on small blocks. It's not big, leafy um, streets anymore with trees down the centre of the streets. They're, they're so narrow with two cars parked you can hardly get a car down the middle or definitely be a worry for a truck driver. Uh, and very little open space. Uh, maybe, you know, there's the occasional park with a little playground. Um, but um, this poor uh, urban planning, I think, in my view, is really a worry. And, um, and he goes on to talk about the diminished importance of the natural world in public and private education. Um, and then, of course, parental fear magnified by news and entertainment uh, media. So people worried about their children, um, you know, playing outside, uh, you know, stranger danger. And of course, that's real, um, unfortunately. Um, but it's interesting. He says that since 2005, the number of studies on the impact of nature experience on human development has grown from a handful to nearly 1,000, so over 1,000 studies now. And this expanding body of uh, scientific evidence suggests that nature deficit disorder contributes to a diminished use of the senses, attention difficulties, conditions of obesity, higher rates of emotional and physical in illness. Um, and research also suggests that nature deficit weakens ecological literacy and stewardship of the natural world. And these problems are linked more broadly to what health care experts call the epidemic of inactivity. So uh, that was quite an interesting article that was published there in uh, October 2019 on uh, Richard Love, uh, spelt L-O-U-V dot com. Uh, another research paper that was published in Environmental Research Public um, Health in 2020, September, uh, issue 2020, um, the, the article is titled Community Gardening, Stress Wellbeing and Resilience Potential. Um, and there was an article in there on the um, effects of natural environments and gardening activities on mental health. And the researchers went on to point out that humans depend both physically and emotionally on nature and both spending time in nature and connecting to nature were observed to offer a number of cognitive effects and physiological benefits. And so this, again, is spending time. And so, again, we can see all this scientific evidence that's backing the Bible account of why God put man in nature. And, of course, today, I guess, if you took that account to, you know, an urban planner and this sort of thing, I'd probably laugh at you. But here we have this evidence that the Bible account, the things that are written in the Bible, we really should take notice of. Um, and now, uh, of course, in many ways, even now, 
thousands of years after the Bible was written, we're finding and discovering scientific evidence that is supporting the immense health benefits of what the Bible talks about and the ideal that the Bible set up for us. I mean, the original biblical diet was a plant-based diet. And now, of course, we have all the the growing amount of evidence on the benefits of plant-based diets on human health. But it's interesting that exposure and connection to natural environments not only has direct benefits through stress recovery and mental fatigue restoration, it also has implicit benefits by serving as a buffer against stressful life events. And it said that uh, the research has found that regular contact with nature is found to lead to long-lasting positive impacts on mental health, including a reduction in depressive and anxiety symptoms and landscapes consisting of natural elements like groves of trees have been found to evoke feelings of pleasure and calmness and are conductive to the restoration from stress. Um, And green spaces in urban environments are associated with stress relief and also increase longevity of senior citizens. And so here we see these um, amazing benefits. And, of course, we also have the the Sabbath. The Sabbath has um, the God uh, had this program every seventh day where to rest from our work, not do work, Uh, again, uh, provides this opportunity to get out in nature and see the handiworks of of God. Recently, um, of course, there was Kaplan's research uh, uh, many years ago on the benefits of uh, uh, horticultural therapy and so forth, improvement of mental health. And also, um, just in June 2023, Uh, A University of Ohio in the United States published that um, gardening can be a great form of exercise, of course, and uh, they published a whole article on the health benefits of gardening, uh, the growing, consuming the fresh vegetables um, and keeping, um, particularly in older people, keeping hands strong and nimble. But again, they found also that gardening isn't just good for your body, that it's good for your mind. Gardening stimulates the brain and reduces risk of cognitive decline. And some studies have shown that regularly gardening may help reduce the risk of dementia by 50%. And also other studies show that cytokine levels rise, which in turn activate the feel-good hormone serotonin when working in the soil. And also, specific bacteria in the soil can also stimulate our serotonal uh, levels. And so um, there's these amazing studies in so many ways that contact with nature improves our health. And that's exactly what the Bible recommends. The Bible is an amazing book, but it also tells us of the connection that we have with God, our Creator, who loves us, who came to our planet as the person, Jesus Christ, to live and to teach us um, and to offer a way of salvation for us so that when we die, we will be resurrected uh, to live with God in an earth made new. The Bible uh, gives the amazing details of this, and I would encourage you to read uh, particularly the New Testament books 
of the Bible that describe this in detail. You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. If you want to re-listen to this program, you can uh, remember to Google um, 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au, and click on the radio and listen button. And remember to tell your uh, friends uh, on Facebook and other media about these programs too. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 